really wonderful to be back. And I wanted to thank the worship team for their preparedness this morning and singing the songs and worshiping together. And to thank to Pastor Eric and Tanya and their family. The Kohler family is beloved at Eastern. They have children that actually attended and graduated and, and so forth. So we are grateful for that. And um, Pastor Eric has been uh, an encouragement to me over the years as he has actually, I think the whole family has watched chapel online when we were locked, uh, sheltered in place and locked down. And they've just been encouraging me. So you have a wonderful pastor. I know you know that. Um, and today I brought a piece of technology for you, Pastor. Um, it's relatively new to the university and it should help you in your sermon preparation and your daily correspondence. It's actually a pen. So uh, let's, let's thank Pastor Eric. I always bring him a little something, a university pen. You're welcome. Keep writing those good sermons. That's great. Well, it is good to be with you. And I just wanted to thank Valley Point Church and the pastoral leadership for putting into place the series by Randy Frazee on Believe, right? Um, living the story of the Bible to become like Jesus. What a great end point for the series. It's really important that the church is in some ways a, a school of education too, formation, that it's not simply um, we sing a few songs, we give tithes and offerings, and we'll see you next week, hear, hear a nice message, and then see you next week, but actually that we're becoming more like Jesus. I like uh, Frazee's approach. He's talking about a story. Do you like stories? I mean, everyone loves a story. Um, stories that we live into, even if it's vicariously we're living into. Think about your favorite movie, your favorite book. That we, we live into stories. And the, the, the goal of this series, as I understand, is to live into the story of Scripture and to become more like Jesus. And that's important because there's an intentionality there. I will say that um, <laughs> the role of biblical community is a huge topic. It's a huge topic that we could spend probably weeks just talking about community, uh, which we won't, right? You want to get home for lunch, I understand. So we'll, we'll keep it brief. But there's many approaches to community that you could take. Uh, and Frazee does a wonderful job starting with Genesis all the way to Revelation, giving us a sense of biblical community. So it's important. And it's so important is that it's not that Jesus gave us plan B, right? Jesus never said, at least I haven't found in the Gospels, let's try church for a couple thousand years. If it doesn't work, stay home. Stay home. Put on a headset, listen to some worship music, you know, read a good Christian book, and you'll be fine. I don't see that at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus says just the opposite, that the gates of hell won't prevail, right? It, it's amazing the importance of the church. We all need community. I would venture to say that if you asked the Apostle Paul, if he walked through those double doors and came and, and spoke to us this morning, I don't think it, it would be conceivable to him that you could be a follower of Jesus apart from community. That means when he would say in his letters to be in Christ is a, is a, is a formula that the Apostle Paul used over and over and over again in his letters, I think he also believes you have to be in community to do that. In Christ, in community. So biblical community, it's not optional. This is not optional. 
it's mandatory. I know we don't like to use the word required sometimes, but it certainly is. I think um, Henry Nouwen, the great spiritual guide and leader, wrote that pay attention to the people God puts in your path if you want to discern what God is up to in your life. So we need each other, even the ones who annoy us here this morning, right? There are people who annoy you, right? You're not sitting next to them, hopefully, but there may be people that annoy you, right? We all have quirks, we all have... But God is using all of us. We have to pay attention to our lives together because God is telling us something by being part of a community. So this morning, friends, uh, as I mentioned, many different ways to talk about biblical community. I want to talk about something that I'm processing. So this sermon is more about, about for me than it is for you, I guess. It's something I've been thinking about as a university chaplain, as someone who travels to other churches, meets with Christians, goes to meetings, so forth and so on. I have discovered what I would consider an impediment to biblical community, a real obstacle, a real what I would call problem that needs to be addressed. And it's called adjectival fatigue. Have you ever heard of that? You could put that first uh, screen up, please. Thank you. Adjectival fatigue, right? Have you seen any commercials on TV? No, that's for atrial fibrillation, AFib. You see a lot of those commercials, right? But I'm thinking this is my diagnosis, adjectival fatigue or AF. Now, first of all, let's back up for a moment. We need to know what an adjective does in the English language. So why don't you just shout out, what does an adjective do? What's the purpose of adjectives? Wow. If only we could get that for our first year class at Easton. Sometimes you say, what is an adjective? Huh? What? Um, adjectives are words in the English language that either describe or modify or limit another adjective or noun. Right? It's a part of speech. And we need adjectives. Let me just say this. We don't want to ban adjectives. We need them because they do help us identify who we are, where we live and so forth, right? If I told you, come over to my home, and I just left it as such, it would be much more helpful if I said, my red house, or the large red house on the corner, and those kind of words begin to help describe the kind of home I live in, and that helps to identify it. However, there's always a however, right, a but. Um, let's take a look at when adjectives begin to be placed before a noun. Now, do you see those? There's two, two examples here. So if you follow, follow with me, the first example is where you place all the adjectives before the word Christian, which is a noun. So Christian is functioning as a noun in that sentence, and you see all the adjectives in front of it. The second example is, I am a Christian, the noun is there, and then the adjectives come after. Here's an example of when adjectives can fatigue us, all right? I'm going to describe, this is just an example, describe myself, right? I am a Bible-believing, New Revised Standard Version only, non-denominational, pro-life, moderate, spirit-led, spiritual gifts-affirming, socially concerned Christian. I'm even tied, and I'm prepared for this, I'm even tied repeating all those adjectives before the word Christian. Do you see that? All those adjectives, all those adjectives. Important adjectives, but look how they're placed, all before the noun Christian. My proposal 
for biblical community is to take the adjectives and place them after the noun. That means our focus is, I am a Christian. And that's my number one identity, uh, the noun. And all the other adjectives, be it as it may, are important, but they're not essential. They're important, but not essential. This is what I think happens, friends. And it's happening more and more. We all know we live in a society that's quite divisive, polarized, conflict, conflictual. I think we spend so much energy on adjectives that we don't even get to the noun Christian, meaning we, we start talking to someone, having a conversation, and our focus is on the adjectives. And we can become fatigued because we never get to the Christian. We never get to the heart of the issue. Now, I'm going to show you a church sign that um, I discovered. It comes from a Baptist tradition, so this is no dispersing, dispersing on, on Baptists, but look at that church sign of a Baptist church. Wow. Look at those adjectives. Look at that adjective. And I love the last line. What a good Baptist church used to be. We still are. I'm not, what does that mean? Right? I'm exhausted. Right? All those adjectives. So if you drive by that church, I'm not even sure I would stop in the parking lot. I'm not even sure I belong there. Who knows? Right? Adjectival fatigue. This is how Jesus is feeling about the whole thing, right? He's exhausted. <laughs> Jesus is exhausted. He's, he's saying, this is not what I had planned. When I was teaching my disciples before I left the farewell discourse in John's gospel, he said, I want them to be one like the Father and I am one. We want unity, not conformity. We want unity in the diversity. So I'm not trying to paint over differences. I, I'd be naive at best, ignorant at worst, to say, oh, we're all the same. We're not all the same. I understand that. But the question is, what are we focusing on, the adjective or the noun? What are you putting your energies? What am I putting my energies in? All the adjectives, and I only, uh, that was only seven that I read, read. I can go 14, if you like, in a moment, right? What are we putting our energies in? I think biblical community is about unity in diversity, focused on our identity in Christ, what it means to be a Christian. Do you know what today is in the church calendar? Right? It's uh, June 5th. No, it's Pentecost Sunday. Did you know that? Is anybody wearing red? Okay, yeah, sir. Very good, very good. Maybe that's for the Phillies, but that's okay. We'll take it for Pentecost Sunday, right? Pentecost, around the world today, the Christians celebrate the beginning of the church today, which is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter, 50 days after the resurrection, Pentecost Sunday, People, followers of Jesus were in Jerusalem. They were scared. They were worried. They were waiting for the empowerment of the Spirit in the upper room, right? Pentecost. And Acts chapter 2. Let's go to this text for a moment. Acts chapter 2. I'm just going to read this quickly. I'm going to give you some snapshots. You can go uh, back during this week and take a look at these texts more fully. Here's what Luke, who wrote the Acts of the Apostles, writes in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come... They were all together in one place. These are the earliest believers, 120. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. 
divided tongues as a fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Now, what do we see here, right? This is Pentecost Sunday. We are in, this is Pentecost Sunday in the church calendar. What do we begin to see? What is Luke describing? What, is, what are the characteristics of early biblical community according to Luke? Well, they're all in one place. They're together. That's important, right? They're gathered together. They are being filled with the Holy Spirit, right? They're, be, they're, they're open to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And what I love about this is that the Spirit gives them the ability to take what might be chaotic, right? They're all from different places, come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. So these are Jews and other followers of Jesus from all parts of the world, right? Coming to the, uh, uh, Jerusalem for this festival. It's a pilgrimage festival, so they have to get up and leave and go. And yet what happens there is there's unity in their diversity with the language. Everyone can understand their native, native tongue. They understand the native tongue of each. What a beautiful picture of biblical community. Some scholars have said this is the reversal of the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. This is reversing. Remember the Tower of Babel? God confuses the languages so they don't build this big tower to try to elevate themselves up to God. This is a reversal. Unity in diversity. So that is a beautiful picture. It's not conformity, right? It doesn't mean everyone has to look the same, be the same, but it's unity in diversity. Frazee does this, uh, definition of biblical community. Listen to Frazee, Randy Frazee, in his book, Believe. Biblical community is the glue holding us together through which we have the opportunity to grow in favor with God and to keep our relationships with each other. Right? I remember when I read that the first time in the, in the column, I said it must be crazy glue, right? It's got to be crazy glue, because Christians can be kind of crazy at times. We know that, but yet we're still together. And that's the purpose of biblical community, that we're, it's the glue that holds us together as travelers in this world as we sojourn throughout. Frazee says a key question is, how do I develop healthy relationships with others? Isn't that important when you think of your relationships at Valley Point? Key idea, I fellowship with Christians to accomplish God's purposes in my life, in the lives of others, and in the world. Wow, we can't do it alone. And I think that's another problem with adjectival fatigue. When you focus on the adjectives, you often miss the, the bigger picture of what it means to be a real community. You're focused in, you're siloed. You're focused in only on what you hold on to, and you find people with similar adjectives. How about that? You find people with similar, you get all the adjectives here, you get all the adjectives there, and no one's talking about what it means to be a Christian. What does it mean to live in the world following Jesus, loving God and loving others, right? And doing the things that when people see us, they know who we are. Let's take a look at the next text. This is the text that Frazee gives to us. I know this, this is a snapshot, and I, I apologize. We're not spending a lot of time on each of the verses, but this is the one that's in the book for biblical community, as we understand the New Testament. Right? They, meaning the earliest followers of Jesus, 
devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, all came upon everyone because of the signs and wonders that were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together, and they shared all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need day by day. As they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. A lot of things going on in that text that I think we can draw from it. Let me just say this, um, right? The Bible wasn't written to us, it was written for us. So obviously there are some things in this passage may not be able to relate in the 21st century, right? It relates it to the first century and to the, the earliest followers of Jesus. One of the great things that jumps out at me when I read this text is the phrase day by day. Do you see that? It's repeated a couple of times, day by day, meaning that there was an intentionality about community. It didn't just happen you know, organically, it could, but it was that they were intentionally gathering day by day. They were doing things together despite their differences. They come from different backgrounds. I'm sure there's an annoying person in this group, right? Someone loud, someone speaking. What? Why are you quiet? Why do you keep talking? I never get a word in edge. Right, that was, they're in there. But it's the intentionality. Do you see the intentionality? They devoted themselves to these things. Right? They devote, when you devote some, yourself to something, you persevere, you have resiliency, you continue even beyond the obstacles that you may see. I just love this, right? They, the breaking of the bread. They love to eat. Isn't that wonderful? Christians love to eat. We had a meal this morning in communion, right? I remember one of our students, Shane Claiborne, who's gone on to do wonderful work for the kingdom. He says, remember, Christians, you are what you eat. And he remind, when he would, uh, that's how he would perform the Eucharist or communion. We are what we eat, is that right? This is what they're doing. They're doing things together. And as you can see, they're take, they have things in common. They're generous. Wow, generosity uh, of, of, their, of their, maybe their homes, their goods, their things that they strip, distribute, money, so forth and so on. And praising God and having the goodwill of all the people, meaning People knew what they would do. Not that they were doing it because they wanted to be known, but they did so and other people recognized this is different. This is different. These people are different. These people are different. Okay, that's phrasy. I'm going to give you two more snapshots as we kind of take a look at adjectival fatigue because, again, we have to ask ourselves, the main thesis of this sermon this morning is are we holding on to our adjectives too tightly? Are we holding on? And how many adjectives do we have before we get to the word, the noun Christian? Okay, let's take a look at the next slide. This is in Acts 9 and in Acts 11. Do you ever wonder, and maybe you know this already, where Christians got their name from? Like, where did the name Christian, like I say, I'm a Christian, where did that come from, that term Christian? I don't think anyone, but I mean, you, you, you know that this didn't happen this way. It wasn't as if Jesus, right before his ascension in Acts chapter 1, said to the people, hey, let's have a strategic planning meeting, and hey, we need to brand ourselves. So please, let's think of a name. Peter, what do you think? 
James, what do you think? Oh, I don't know. Maybe we should call ourselves, well, how about maybe Christian? Hey, that's not a bad idea. I'm Jesus the Christ, right? Right? Christ being a title, not his last name, but being a title. And, yeah, we, and then we do some branding. We'll get an Instagram page up. We'll do some marketing. And you guys go out and have a blast. No, it didn't happen like that at all, right? You know, early Christians were called this in chapter 9. Listen to the text. This is the apostle Paul, who was formerly called Saul. You probably know the story of Paul's radical conversion. Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul, who is the apostle Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, uh, went to the high priest and asked him for letters uh, to the synagogue at Damascus so that anyone who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is recorded in the Bible, right? The New Testament, Acts chapter 9. And so you might say the earliest followers of Jesus called themselves or were referred to the way. Do you see that? The way. They were called the way. Now, why is that? You can postulate maybe it was because of John chapter 14, verse 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe, maybe they picked up something in that and said, okay, let's be called the way. We're on a journey, you know, so forth. Maybe Psalm 1 entered in, where you have the path of righteousness and unrighteousness. We're going to go the path of righteousness. It's a way. It's a way. We're going to call ourselves the way. All right. I, I grant it. I grant it. Again, I, I would suggest that that's not a term that's oftentimes used in Christianity now, like the way. There's been, been movements in the church that have called themselves the way that have not worked out really well, so I would avoid that term right now as a, as a denomination of sorts. However, look at Acts chapter 11. Just a few chapters after, we get our name. We get the name Christian. And this is when the Apostle Paul is with Barnabas, his missionary companion. When Barnabas found Saul, he brought him to Antioch. Antioch is a city in Syria about the size of Chicago. So really commercial, big city, lots of people, different ethnicities, religions, and so forth. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Wow, that's where we get our name. In Antioch, that the disciples were first called Christians. We got our names from people looking from the outside in rather than the inside out. Isn't that interesting? Now, if you use the word Christian to people, the first thing they say, bunch of hypocrites, judgmental, can't get along, argue, this and that. But for those folks, back then, they were describing people that were different and living differently and speaking differently and behaving differently. And it was outsiders who, some have suggested that might have been a slur or some kind of label. Oh, they're Christians. They're followers of that Jesus guy. Look what he got himself into, right? He got crucified. But they were called, outsiders called us first followers of Jesus, right? Christians, Christians. Isn't it interesting, friends, that there are no adjectives before that word Christian. Do you see that? That's a noun. It's always going to be a noun. It's what they were called. Because people looked and they said, it must be them. 
it must be them. So let's think about how to combat AF, how to combat agitival fatigue, right? We'll talk a little bit about that. I want to give you an example of someone who is a hero of mine uh, from another faith tradition, but someone I have, have deeply valued. It's um, Abraham Joshua Heschel. Some of you may know of him, probably the greatest Jewish theologian of the 20th century, taught for many years at Jewish Theological Seminary on the Upper West Side of New York. He, was, uh, he wrote a book on the Sabbath, which is a classic, also on the prophets, really, really important person. His uh, only daughter, Susanna Heschel, teaches at Dartmouth College, and I got a chance to meet and talk with her. Her father escaped uh, Nazi Germany, Poland, and so forth, and Holocaust, and became a person who landed here to teach. Uh, and what I love about Heschel is that he combined his deep spirituality with social activism, right? Spirituality and social engagement. As a matter of fact, you can Google this, right? Because if it's on the internet, it's true. No, right? Uh, you can Google it anyway. Abraham Joshua Heschel marched with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in Selma, Alabama, in 1965. You could see them locked hand and arm in arm, Heschel and King as they're walking in Selma. Heschel says about that experience, when I was walking in Selma, my feet were praying. My feet were praying. Really deep spirituality and social activism. I love Heschel. Never met him, of course, but just read, read books and try to understand his perspective. Last summer, I read a, a biography of Heschel by an emeritus professor from Brandeis University, Edwin Kaplan. And it was a wonderfully engaging book about a person's life, which I enjoy biographies. And there was a, a place uh, in the book where Heschel had a, had a really uncanny, uncanny ability to work with all people. Have you met people that just, no matter who you are, you just are drawn to them because they're looking to be bridge builders, right? So Heschel could work with all the variations of Judaism, Orthodox, Reform, Conservative, Hasidim. He could work with all Jews trying for a common cause. He also could work with Roman Catholics and Protestants and Orthodox. He was seen as this great conciliar. He was really good at that. And one time, an, uh, a reporter in 1953 was writing an article because Heschel was really important figure in the Vatican II in the Roman Catholic Church. He helped uh, write an encyclical which alleviated some of the anti-Semitic tropes that were in early Christian literature and so forth. And we don't have time to go in that, but there were and historically, Christianity has not, had not always been friendly to Judaism in the ways in which they uh, related. So Heschel was really very, very critically important in helping to make that conversation happen. So a reporter speaks with Heschel and asks, Dr. Heschel, Dr. Heschel, how is it that you can work with everyone? How can you work with all the variations within Judaism? What about Christianity? You work with all these Christians, you sit at the table, you, you have a drink with them, you eat with them, you're talking about important things. And this is what Heschel is quoted to be, said to the reporter. I am not a Jew in search of an adjective. I am not a Jew in search of an adjective. I thought, I hope I'm not a Christian in search of an adjective. 
I'm not a Jew in search of an adjective. When I read that, the book just, like I said, that's it. That's it. Are you searching for adjectives today? Are you really holding on to them? Are you really, because that will just sever biblical community. I can't see us being ever united in our diversity if we hold on to adjectives. Good Friday, we commemorate on Good Friday, we all know this, the death of Jesus, right? He dies on Good Friday for what? For the redemption of, our, of, of ourselves and the world, right? For the forgiveness of sins, for the redemption of individuals and the world. And so we would say that his sin, uh, sin was nailed on the cross, right? Jesus took on our sins and was nailed on the cross. You know what also Jesus took on and what also was nailed on the cross? All these adjectives, all these adjectives are nailed on the cross. We don't need them. We don't need all these adjectives. We need to be Christians. We need to be Christian. Adjectives fatigue all of us in pursuing unity and love. It really does fatigue us. You get just tired. We don't want to try any longer because it's just too hard. It's too hard to be a Christian. The dictum uh, from St. Augustine, you may have heard this before. It's one that I use at the university. So any student at Eastern University probably has heard this from me sometime in chapel or in class. It goes back to St. Augustine in the fifth century. He's, he's noted, quoted of saying, this is the dictum about Christian theology. In essentials, unity. In essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity or love. In essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity or love. Adjectives are the non-essentials that get bumped up to the essentials. And it's fatiguing us. It's fatiguing the church today. Adjectives are not essentials. They're in the non-essentials. They're important, right? They're important. It's, it, you need things to describe other things, granted. But they're not essential, right? The great 20th century philosopher, Yoda. You know Yoda. Return of the Jedi, 1983. One of the greatest philosophers of the 20th century. You may remember the scene in The Return of the Jedi when Luke Skywalker crashes the X-wing plane in the swamp and he's trying to levitate it, right, using his Jedi Knight powers and Yoda's there and Luke has given up and I can't do this, I can't believe it. And, and what does Yoda say? What does Yoda say? He says, you must unlearn before you learn. You must unlearn, Luke, before you learn. Well, yeah, he's right. Yoda's spot on. We have to unlearn some things. We've been conditioned to hold on to those adjectives. Yeah, maybe we need to unlearn some things, right? It's okay to unlearn. I know sometimes it feels frightening because we're giving up something, but we're not giving up something. We're learning something new. We're embracing something different. We're doing it together. In closing, probably my favorite uh, quotation on... Um, Biblical community comes from Diedrich Bonhoeffer, uh, a 20th century uh, German Lutheran theologian. Probably some of you know of him, and um, uh, he died at the hands of uh, the Nazis and martyred for being on a plot to uh, overthrow the Fuhrer. 
And so Bonhoeffer, in this little book called Life Together, uh, I think has the best definition of biblical community, bar none. And I want to read it to you because to me, it's not about adjectives, it's about prepositions. So look for the prepositions. This is really quite an English 101 kind of class today, right? All right, and there is a quiz right after, so stay in your seats. Listen to the prepositions. Christianity, according to Bonhoeffer, means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it be a brief, single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. Through and in. That's all you need. You don't need adjectives. You need prepositions. We all need prepositions. That's what, that, what makes biblical community. Everything else is superfluous, in my opinion, non-essential. What does it mean to follow Jesus, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself? And we do that together in our differences, certainly, but to do it in a unity approach. It's through and in Jesus Christ. That's why uh, I think Frazee says we need to practice community. This does not come easy, folks. I'm not even sure I do it well. Right, it's a practice. You have to be intentional about it. It doesn't happen when you just wake up one morning and you roll out of bed and say, oh, now I'm fully in the biblical community, person, contributor. No, no, this is hard work, but it's good work. It's important work. It's redemptive work, not just for us, but for the world. And we're responsible. Jesus gave us a responsibility to be the church, to be a biblical community that others will say, look at them. They're Christians. I can't believe it. Wow. How novel. Not that they're adjective, 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 adjective Christian, but they're Christians. Look at them, how they love each other, how they're loving God, how they're loving their neighbor. Oh, my. Revolutionary. Our closing prayer comes from a worship chorus, a song that I grew up as a kid. I really like this one. You probably know about it. Have you ever heard of this song, they know, they'll know we are Christians by our love? Can you raise your hand if you ever heard that, they'll know we're Christians by our love? Really popular in the 60s, and it's been, you know, and I won't sing it because I want you to stay till the very end. <laughs> but I will say how simple this song is. It makes all the sense in the world when you think about adjectival fatigue, getting rid of the adjectives, embracing ourselves with the unity that we have in Christ and in love. So let me just read this as a closing prayer, then I'll turn it back to Pastor Eric. So let's pray together. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We pray that our unity will one day be restored and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Amen, and God bless you.